Okay, I want to thank Shaila for her very lovely introduction. And I'll begin by paying homage to the Buddha in the traditional way. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato Samasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato Samasambuddhasa First I'd like to state my pleasure to be back here again. I spoke spoke here about, I think it was about a year and a half ago, in April 2009. This time, my timing, the timing of my arrival was not altogether favorable, (laughs) since I managed to come both at the time when the San Francisco Giants were entering the World Series, and one of the first lectures that I gave was on Sunday night, which was also Halloween. (laughs) So there was a clash both with Halloween and the World Series game. (laughs) Fortunately, last night was the consummation of the World Series with a victory for the San Francisco Giants. So I congratulate all of you for (laughs) the victory of your, even though this isn't San Francisco, but I guess everybody here by reason of Maybe you call this by proximity condition. Anantara Pachaya supports the um, San Francisco Giants. <laughs> and there's still one obstacle also tonight, which is the election. <laughs> but I'm glad to see that there's a fairly good crowd tonight. Okay, what I want to do in tonight's talk is to lay out a kind of scheme for summarizing many of the teachings of the Buddha or the Buddhist tradition. And I've titled this talk, Taking Delight in the Wholesome. And I'm basing it on a statement of the Buddha that comes in the Anguttara Nikaya, in the Book of Twos. In this book, the Buddha says, abandon the unwholesome. One can abandon the unwholesome. If it were impossible to abandon the unwholesome, I wouldn't ask you to do so. But since it can be done, therefore I say, abandon the unwholesome. Then cultivate the wholesome. One can cultivate the wholesome. If it were impossible to cultivate the wholesome, I wouldn't ask you to do so. But since it can be done, therefore I say, cultivate the wholesome. 
if this cultivation of the wholesome brought harm and suffering, I would not ask you to cultivate it. But because the cultivation of the wholesome brings well-being and happiness, therefore I say, cultivate the wholesome. Okay, this statement is very brief and very simple, but in a way it comprises just about all of the teachings of the Buddha laid out in so many volumes of the Sutta Pitaka. So we could say that the Buddha's teaching is based first upon a very clear and vital distinction between two qualities of action which in turn point to two qualities of the mind. These two qualities are the unwholesome and the wholesome. What is bad, to put it in simplistic terms, what is bad and what is good, what is tainted and what is taintless. And then in regard to these two qualities of actions and two qualities of the mind, each has its own specific task. And so we could say that these two tasks comprise the entire practice of the Dhamma. The task regarding the unwholesome is to abandon it or to eliminate it. So one reason that we practice the Buddha's teaching is to restrain unwholesome actions of body, speech, and mind, and to eliminate unwholesome mental tendencies. There are different classifications of these unwholesome mental tendencies, but they're all summed up in one word that we use constantly in the text. This is the word defilements, or in Pali, kilesa. And so, with regard to the kilesas or defilements of the mind, our challenge in practice is to overcome them, eliminate them, and eventually to remove them completely. Simultaneously, when we cultivate the Dhamma, the second task pertains to the wholesome that which is good, beneficial, the worthy and purifying qualities of the mind. And these are summed up in the word kusala, which means the wholesome. And with regard to the wholesome, again, there's a specific task, and that is to develop or to cultivate. In Pali, the word is bhavana. Okay, so the task regarding the wholesome is to cultivate it. So generally, in making the right effort, first we have to bring the wholesome qualities into the mind, those which don't already exist there in actuality, but only as potentialities. Then we have to strengthen the wholesome qualities until they reach fullness of development. Now, when I reflected upon the sutta some years ago, 
the question came into my mind, especially I was preparing some lectures at the monastery where, where I was staying. The question came into my mind, what are the kind of wholesome qualities that we should develop? And I just did a kind of overview of the Buddhist tradition. And then I grouped these wholesome qualities into four sets. And then I tried to reflect what is the principle that underlies each of these sets. And I tried to assign to each a particular governing principle, or maybe you could call this a governing law of the spiritual life. And so the first set that I came up with is called the Ten Bases of Meritorious Action. In Pali, these are called the Dasa Kiriyavattu. Actually, in the suttas, the Buddha speaks of three bases of meritorious action. These are giving or generosity, virtuous conduct or ethical behavior, sila, and development or cultivation, bhavana. But the commentators on the suttas, in order to draw upon existing forms of Buddhist practice, expanded that original threefold set into seven types of wholesome, meritorious practice. Okay, so these are, just taking all of them, giving, virtuous behavior, meditative development. So those are the three coming from the sutta literature. Then comes the fourth is reverence or respect showing respect especially to the three jewels, the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, showing respect to parents and elders, and acting respectfully with regard basically to everyone. The fifth is service, that is being, uh, being helpful to others, undertaking acts of service, for example, in many Dhamma, traditions, meditative traditions. Some people, rather than sitting the meditation course, will do the cooking, the preparation of the uh, rooms for the meditators, the cleanup after the meditative sessions. But there are thousands of ways of serving other beings or of serving the Dhamma. And so all of these types of service are comprised in this fifth base of merit. The sixth is sharing one's merits with others. That is, when we do meritorious deeds within the Buddhist tradition, we shouldn't be thinking of this as you know, putting our money into a bank account where it will be safe and secure and nobody else can get hold of it. But rather, our attitude should be like that of somebody who's holding up a candle and wants to help other people who are in darkness to light their own candles so that hundreds of candles can be lit off one candle and yet the light of that one candle is not diminished when others light their candles off it. In fact, speaking from the standpoint of merit, if we help, if we use our candle to help light other candles, then our candle burns brighter and brighter with each candle that we light. And so when 
in our tradition, whenever we finish some kind of meritorious activity, either mentally or verbally, we share the merits with other beings in other realms of existence so that they can also partake of the merit. The seventh is rejoicing in the merits of others. And this means when we see others do meritorious deeds, instead of becoming envious or jealous or competitive, you know, in our American society, we're always taught you have to be number one, so get ahead of others. And if somebody is doing things better than you are, don't let them get, reach the finish line first, but you dash out ahead and beat them in the race, the race to enlightenment. <laughs> so that you could be the one sitting in the Buddha seat and have hundreds and thousands of deities and human beings worshiping you. <laughs> but instead, when others do meritorious deeds, we rejoice in it and we fill our own hearts with joy and happiness. Okay, eighth is listening to the Dhamma. So when somebody is giving a Dhamma talk, one listens attentively, and one tries to find opportunities to learn the Dhamma, to listen to it or to study it from reliable books. The ninth is teaching the Dhamma, which when one is qualified through long periods of study and practice, then one can start to share the Dhamma with others. And even if one doesn't have those qualifications, still one can give others Dharma books or print Dharma books for distribution or um, just buy a gift of a Dharma book to give to somebody else. In this way, you're sharing the Dharma with others. And then the tenth is called straightening out one's views. So this means trying to clarify one's understanding of the Dharma by studying the text, by taking notes on the texts, by reflecting on them, and then eventually through insight meditation, arriving at experiential wisdom. Okay, each of these methods of cultivating merit really merits or deserves almost a whole lecture on its own. And I don't want to overwhelm you with lists, but I'm just presenting this list in order to try to find out what place the practice of these bases of merit have in the Buddhist spiritual life. And what occurred to me as I reflected on this question is that the underlying law or principle behind the practice of meritorious deeds is what I call the principle of retributive consequences. And this is the law or principle that every morally determinate deed that we perform tends to produce a result that corresponds to the moral quality of that action. And so the action itself is what we call karma, deeds, and the result is vipaka, the result or fruits of the deeds. And so the law of karma means that unwholesome deeds produce pain, suffering, and the spiritual deterioration as their result. 
Whereas when we perform meritorious deeds, then we create wholesome karma, karma that will tend to produce good results, beneficial results for ourselves in the future. So the law of karma is closely connected with the Buddhist teaching of rebirth. And the reason why we perform meritorious deeds is first as a way of the experiencing the joy of goodness here and now, and also creating the wholesome karma that will lead to a fortunate state of rebirth that will bring us you know, sufficient quantities of all of the basic requisites of a happy, wholesome life, and that will also enable us to progress further in the practice of the Dhamma. So when we perform these wholesome deeds, these deeds, they generate in the mind a particular force, which in Buddhist terminology we call punya, which means merit. It's not that there's somebody standing outside of ourselves like a deity looking down and rewarding us for the good deeds, but rather it's the nature of the meritorious deeds themselves to create these wholesome formations within the mind, these wholesome karmic potentials. And when they meet with the right conditions, then they mature in the form of a healthy or happy rebirth, and then good conditions through the course of our life, relatively good health, opportunities for a good education, a satisfactory degree of material affluence, freedom from want and need, a peaceful physical environment, and opportunities to meet the Dharma life after life until we come to the consummation of the spiritual life. Okay, so this is the first group of wholesome practices, that is the ten bases of meritorious deeds. The second group is what we call the paramis or paramitas. Again, we have ten of these, and I don't want to overwhelm you with lists, but I'll just go through the basic list <laughs> of the southern or the Theravada tradition, and that is generosity, virtuous behavior, renunciation, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving, I've rearranged the sequence a little bit from the traditional order, determination, loving kindness, wisdom, and equanimity. In the northern or Mahayana tradition, there are six paramitas, which are very similar. Generosity, moral behavior, patience, energy, meditation, and wisdom. Okay, so we have these ten paramitas, and the question came to my mind, why should there be such a group of factors as paramitas when we also have bases of merit? And then the answer occurred to me, or at least this is my conjecture, that the paramitas are governed by a different principle from the bases of meritorious deeds. The principle that underlies the practice of the paramitas is what I call the law of the conservation and transmission of spiritual force. That is, if we look 
at the long-term perspective of our existence, according to the Buddha's teaching, we move from life to life through this samsara, the round of rebirths. And as we go from life to life, we build up certain dispositions, certain inclinations, which become the, we might call this the fabric of our character. They're like the threads that make up the fabric of our character. And to gain enlightenment and liberation, we need not only a store of merits, but we also have to build up those traits of character that correspond to the goal of enlightenment and liberation. And it is these traits of character that is that these traits of character that are represented by the paramitas. And so as we go from life to life and we practice these wholesome deeds that enter into the paramitas, it's not only that they create merit which will bring its fruits, but they leave impressions on the mind. And this is a little bit like, you know, if we have a little stream of water running down a hill and flowing over a mass of stone and it's flowing along that same little current for hundreds of years, what happens to the stone? But it develops these kind of ripples and grooves which correspond to the flow of the water, the force of the water. And so as we practice these deeds, generosity, when we give on this occasion, that occasion, each act of giving is creating a groove within the mind, inclining it towards generosity, relinquishment. As we practice virtuous behavior, it's creating grooves in the mind of this strong disposition to behave in wholesome ways. As we practice, for example, patience, when it's difficult to bear a particular situation, we remain patient, and that enables us to become more patient on later occasions. When we practice, for example, loving kindness, Little by little, that force of loving-kindness accumulates in the mind until even if we start off with an angry, irritable temperament, we can become a very loving and compassionate person. And so, as we go on practicing from life to life, these qualities become the, we could say that they become the substance of our character. And so the person who represents the pinnacle in the development of the paramitas is the Buddha. The Buddha is like a perfectly cut diamond in which each facet of the diamond sparkles and gleams and there's no imperfection at all in it. And we might be like rough diamonds, diamonds in the rough, but as we go on from life to life, it's like we're cutting that diamond substance, polishing it, removing all of the flaws until we too will become bright, radiant diamonds. 
And so that is the, the way I see it, the principle that underlies the paramitas, what I call the transmission of spiritual force from life to life. Okay, the third group of wholesome qualities are what I call the qualities that lead to penetration, to realization of the truth. And these, in their fullness, are the 37 aids to enlightenment or 37 wings to awakening, the bodhipakya dhamma. I'm not going to overload you with a list of all 37, but I'm just going to take one set within this group, which is, I think, the set that I find the most useful for explanation, and that is what are called the five spiritual faculties. Faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. Okay, now the, these five spiritual faculties form the set that leads to the penetration of truth. And so the law that governs this set and all of the other aids to enlightenment is what I call the law of penetration. And I formulate this law in this way, that when these factors are diligently and consistently cultivated, they increase in intensity, building upon one another until they generate the wisdom or insight that penetrates into the real nature of things. That is, these factors condition one another in such a way that in concert, in harmony with each other, they gain the kind of momentum that is needed for us to break away from the gravitational force of ignorance, delusion, and all the other defilements and to reach the sphere of bodhi or enlightenment. Okay, the way the five spiritual faculties develop, they begin with faith. Faith means, in this context, placing trust in the Buddha as the fully enlightened teacher and in the Dharma as the truth about the nature of things and as the path that leads to the realization of truth. Okay, when we have that trust, then we take up the practice which initially involves the two faculties of energy and mindfulness, virya and sati. So we energetically, we strive to control the unwholesome tendencies of the mind and to arouse mindfulness, the mindfulness based on the four foundations of mindfulness. As we go on with energy and mindfulness working together, hand in hand, they bring concentration. So concentration is the sustained attention on a single object. When the mind becomes trained in concentration, then it turns to examine the nature of physical and mental phenomena, 
observing the arising and passing away of things. And this is the cultivation of insight, which turns into panya, wisdom, the fifth faculty. And it is this wisdom which penetrates the three characteristics of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness or suffering, and the selfless or empty nature of phenomena. And so this act of this activity of wisdom is insight or penetration, the penetration of the real characteristics of things. Okay, so we have now so far three sets, the ten bases of meritorious deeds, which create wholesome karma, the ten paramitas, which create the virtuous or wholesome dispositions of the mind and build up that strength and purity of character necessary for the realization of truth. And third, the development of the five faculties which leads directly to the penetration of truth. But then I added another set of four qualities which in a way represents all of these together that I've mentioned, these three sets I call the ascending movement, the movement going, you could say, from samsara to nibbana, from ignorance to enlightenment. But there's another set of four qualities which in a sense represents what I would call a descending movement, the qualities that guide us in our interaction with the world. And these four factors are the four divine abodes or the four immeasurable states of loving kindness, compassion, altruistic joy, and equanimity. So I call these four the motivations for wholesome action, for action that benefits and assists other living beings. So the first of these is metta. Metta is loving kindness, the wish for the welfare and happiness of others. And so when metta sinks down and becomes a trait of our character, then it will motivate us to act in a positive way to promote the well-being and happiness of others. The second of these divine states is karuna, compassion, which is the quality that makes our hearts tremble with the suffering of others, which stirs us when we witness others afflicted by suffering, and thus moves us to act to eliminate, the, to rescue others from suffering, and to eliminate the causes that brings suffering to others. The third of the divine states is called mudita. This is altruistic joy, which makes us rejoice in the happiness and success of others and motivates us to cooperate with them, to collaborate with others, to work in harmony with them in fulfilling good and wholesome purposes. And then the fourth of the wholesome, of the divine abodes, is 
upeka, sometimes translated equanimity, but in relation to living beings, I prefer to translate it as impartiality. So this is the quality that enables us to look upon all other living beings, at least all human beings, without bias, without preferences, without being judgmental and domineering, but to look upon them equally and to seek to help all living beings to the best of our ability without discrimination or exclusion. Okay, and so just in a way to tie things together, we have usually first we begin by practicing meritorious deeds with the idea of achieving a happy future existence and happiness in life after life as we go through the round of rebirths. Then we mature to the point of practicing the paramitas in order to strengthen our spiritual qualities so that we develop the nobility of character, the strength and purity of character that is worthy of the ultimate supermundane attainment, enlightenment, awakening, or liberation. Then to move directly to the goal, we cultivate either the Noble Eightfold Path or the five spiritual faculties, which when mature will bring deepening wisdom, deepening insight, and then as we participate in this world and interact with other living beings, we sort of descend and relate to them in terms of loving kindness, compassion, altruistic joy, and equanimity or impartiality. And it was in a way to, as a, a way of bringing these divine abodes into the world that a couple of years ago, together with some of my Dharma friends and students, we established the organization called Buddhist Global Relief. And when I, Shaila invited me to, um, to speak here tonight, I told her about our work with Buddhist Global Relief, and she very kindly and generously offered to make this talk tonight a benefit for Buddhist Global Relief. And so I want to introduce two of the people who came with me. These are members of the BGR executive team. One is Kim Behan. She is the executive director of Buddhist Global Relief. And the other is Sylvie Sun, who is a member of our board of directors. And Kim will give a little slideshow presentation about BGR. So I invite Kim to come up. She is originally from, or living originally from Vietnam. She came to the United States in 1973, studied close by at University of California at Berkeley, then at Wisconsin. She has a master's in software engineering. And for 28 years, she was a software engineer with a corporation. And then after she retired, she became the executive director of BGR, which she fulfills entirely in a voluntary capacity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.